Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm glad we can hang out together today. I hope you can spend as much of the afternoon with me as possible. And if you miss any of the show, you know where to go. It's MyFaithRadio.com. We have podcasts. And listen, you can listen there to anything you miss. But we got a great show. Chris Palmer is going to be joining me in just a second. And then uh, Ray Comforts uh, was going to be on the show last week, but we had a little bit of a mishap. But we've got... Really great episode from Ray. We're going to air after that. And then hour two. So we have a lot of great show for you today. But Chris has gotten together with a bunch of his colleagues where he teaches, and they put together a what they call a starter pack towards a recovery of essential Christianity. And it's dev- it's designed to r- provoke a response, and it will. Chris, welcome. Hey, Bill. It's good to be with you again, man. And uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so tell me about your colleagues in this project. So our colleagues are from something called Theos University. It's a website that we call the Netflix of Theology, where you can go on and just browse theology the way that you would your Netflix show. If you want to do some sprucing up on systematic theology or church history, apologetics, it's that easy and that accessible. We say that it's exhaustive, but not exhausting, meaning that we distill it all into a very easy-to-understand presentation that makes theology hopefully enjoyable and yet efficient. And we've been doing it for about three years. We've grown to about 7,000 subscribers, and we do our best to help pastors and leaders as well as lay people navigate what's going on in the Christian world is something called deconstruction, where people are sort of questioning the faith, they're dealing with disenchantment, disillusionment, and to the point where they begin to take apart Christianity. And while there may be questions that we ask about our faith, we shouldn't get to the point where we approach it with skepticism that leaves us with nothing. And so in this book, we've asked all of those who have taught classes for us to take on writing about something they are formed about, something they have answered questions about. And um, we've had 16 authors compile a total of 20 essays, which I think we came out with a really nice product that helps resource people with thorough and yet insightful and practical and useful information to begin getting at a certain topic and issue. We have things like, well, what do we do about the end times? I mean, because most of our approaches today have been highly dispensational and have, have been such that it kind of causes a lot of end time disillusionment. And how do we look at the book of Revelation? We have things that are there about what do we do with mystery? How do we recover language in a way that is faithful to what we call historical Christian orthodoxy? We have things about Christian persecution, dogma, tradition, 
um, things of that nature, racial reconciliation, how should we look at race as uh, Christian brothers and sisters? Because we have typically looked at, there's been such, uh, I would say, a assault on critical race theory that's kind of made its way into Chris, you're really breaking up, unfortunately, so I'm sorry for that. But it is interesting in the book that you start every chapter with uh, the word recovering, so we're trying to recover. You were talking earlier about about the younger generation deconstructing their faith. And in chapter 12 of this book, which is called Theos Starter Pack, is called Recovering Our Youth. And it starts off uh, written by Austin Moult, and he said, Brace yourself for this tough pill to swallow, Gen Z is deconstructing their faith and changing their pronouns, all while giving away their personal information to China via TikTok. We are doomed. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So uh, there's another uh, topic called recovering the minor prophets. Of course, that gets my attention. Recovering creation. These are all topics that uh, people want to have conversations about, don't they? Yeah, they do, and especially our youth, because we've 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 learned in youth that they want a a Christianity that's thought-provoking. They have been able to look past some of the artificialness of, of cliches that have things that have been said across the pulpit. So they've lost their meaning, and this book's we, we've worked at it to provoke a response. Okay. Let's relook at some of the things we've been saying and find out what in yeah, Chris, once again, I'm sorry, we've lost uh, your connection. It's just not uh, at all. We're going to try to reconnect with you. So we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to see if we get a better connection. Chris Palmer is my guest, and he's uh, compiled and edited a book called Theo Starter Pack, Recovering uh, Toward a Recovery of Essential Christianity. We'll be right back. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. I am liking the month of August for a lot of reasons. A, I love summer, and B, we've got a really remarkable 100-copy book giveaway of Susie Larson's new book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where is God When You Need Him Most? If you want to get in on the drawing to do that, you can enter to win your copy now. Head over to myfaithradio.com. My guest today is Chris Palmer. He's edited a book along with about 16 of his colleagues uh, called Theos Starter Pack Toward a Recovery of Essential Christianity. And Chris, would you say that you're really targeting towards the younger uh, the younger crowd with this book? Yeah, so I think we, we're targeting everybody, but I think the more interested people would be the younger people because they're at a point where they're looking for thought-provoking Christianity, and this would appeal probably more to them. It wasn't our aim, but I think they're the ones that this book would definitely appeal more towards based upon where they at as far as deconstruction goes and what's taking place on social media sites like TikTok and Instagram where they're constantly bombarded with 
multitudes and myriad of different sites that are challenging some of the things that they learned as they were children and in children's church and in their youth as well. And so this speaks to that, which they are definitely um, going through. Mm-hmm. So one of the chapters is recovering our battle against sin. And the question is, how often do we as believers struggle with the battle against sin in our lives? How can sin be an ever-present reality, even in the lives of sincere Christians? That's a provocative uh, start to that chapter. And I know there's a lot of people, uh, especially younger generation, that are more and more uncomfortable with the whole idea of sin. They just as soon not call it that. Yeah, and it is. And, and, you know, you would never think a day would come where saying the word sin from the pulpit would be something that would offend people. You would rather call it our issues or our, our, our problems or, you know, the areas of imperfection in our life. But calling it sin is definitely calling it something that would be perceived as inflammatory. But we are bringing people back to what Scripture says about the fallenness and the ugliness of our brokenness as people that need God. And so sin is an offense against God. It's missing the mark. And so we understand that salvation begins with conviction, that without God and without the work of Jesus Christ, we remain separated from God, and that it takes the work of Christ, and it took the work of Christ, and are receiving that to reconcile us back to Him. So that chapter is talking about that and recovering our language of calling things what scripture calls them because i think we've in our presentation backed away from those things mm-hmm. out of concern about what people think and what they may uh trying to appeal to a broader group of people the problem is when you do that you end up compromising what scripture means and as, as chapter will explain yeah so true and words are important and we need to understand what words mean and in this this chapter about recovering the battle against sin this gentleman, David Campbell, was talking about um, a long-ago member in his congregation who showed up one day to announce that after listening to some teaching, he had come to the conclusion, not only that he had the capacity not to sin, but that he was, in fact, now free from sin. (laughs) Yeah, so what David is referring to in that chapter is an idea in theology called triumphalism, which probably we would say in the theology world, we use a big term, and I'll explain it. It's called an overrealized eschatology, which means that we that Christ accomplished the work on Calvary, and we're living between the already and the not yet, meaning that Christ accomplished that, and that's being realized and worked out in our lives by faith, by grace through faith, and that totality of that victory will be experienced in our lives as the moment of the resurrection. Until that, Paul instructs us that we need to put down the deeds of the flesh. We need to rely on the help of the Holy Spirit to say no to temptation, because we live in a world where uh, sin still tempts. There's demonic powers that still bring us all types of enticement. And we are not in the glorified body. Mm-hmm. So we're susceptible to temptation. Also, there's in Scripture about warning us how to overcome that. Um, that's being realized here. So in this particular chapter, David's talking about an individual who's saying that there's no Chris, we're losing you again. I'm so sorry to say that, but we are losing you. You're breaking up so much that I can't even understand, unfortunately, what you're saying. So 
That is not a good sign. I think I'm going to have to let you go. Oops. There you go. All right. Um, thank you. Chris Palmer has been my guest. And unfortunately, with a connection that bad, it's really hard to hear what he's saying. So I do apologize. And I know he feels probably terrible because that's the way it happens with radio, that um, he was traveling and couldn't be uh, on a better connection. But he was on a cell phone, and you never know what that's going to be like. So, uh, again, his book was uh, a book that he edited. It's called Theo Starter Pack. And it is an interesting book. I've, I've not spent a lot of time with it. Uh, Chris has written a couple of the chapters in the book, um, and he's a guy who loves the Greek language and has studied it and is teaching it, and he's working on his Ph.D. So he's uh, an interesting, uh, thoughtful guy. And I have had him on many times in the past, and I, I like Chris very much. But uh, I'm sorry that we couldn't spend more time get digging into his book, but... Um, Ryan, you've got uh, a different. You're in a different age range. So when you when you Chris, could say that that's well, accurate. <laughs> I mean, that's accurate. But when Chris was talking about the 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 generation, the younger generation deconstructing their faith, are you finding that to be true among your peers? Yeah, to be honest with you, Bill, I mean, most people in my group are fellow believers, and I'm so thankful for that. I don't have many people that I regularly am spending time with who aren't believers. So. I maybe wouldn't be the best to speak on that, but you read about it and you see it all the time and they're looking for, I don't know exactly what they're looking for. They're looking for something more. And I think Chris was hitting on some good things, not calling out what is the truth. There's no way to get around sin. We can call it so many other terms and label it as so many other different things, but Mm -hmm. it is sin. And we know that as followers of Christ. So it's fascinating to try to figure out why can't we call it sin? I don't know. Well, we like gentler terms. I think we like to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We like to say, you know, we're just a little broken and, you know, we've got some issues and we, yeah. I have some things I'm working on, but sin is uh, the reality. And I think we all should call it what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And not beat around that bush. So um, I hope that the younger generation embraces the the proper terminology in God's word, that sin is sin. And it can only be dealt with through the blood of Jesus on the cross. Yeah, and you guys yesterday on Guy Talk had a great conversation similar to this, Bill, where you brought up the question to Jeff, Tom, and Greg, why do we have an issue with taking responsibility? And that mm. goes for the younger generation, the one above them, and everyone, where for some reason there's a human nature inside of us when something goes wrong, it's hard to take that responsibility to say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And I want to do better. And I'm okay with having this conversation of saying, I don't like where I am right now, Mm -hmm. but we can grow each other to be better. You know, if you want to pinpoint this to iron sharpens iron and what we read about in scripture, but it's hard to do that with a lot of people. I don't know if you would agree, Bill, but I look in my life and say, how many people am I able to do that with? Where we're able to be real and honest with one another, call each other higher and say, yeah, I'll take accountability. I'll take responsibility and I'll say, I need to do better and I want to do better. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like the accountability, uh, Ryan. And I also like as iron sharpens iron, one man another. But when you see iron sharpening iron, there's usually sparks. Amen. You know, (laughs) (laughs) and it's not always as gentle as we think it is. I mean, it's it's good to be loving and supporting, but sometimes you have to get in somebody's face and and say, I'm not so sure what you're doing is the right the right direction. Yeah. And when you wait on that a lot of times and you let it continue and continue and continue, it's going to fester to a boiling point. So you're talking about, you know, sparks flying. 
I'd say that's not the worst thing because if sparks are flying every now and again, it's limiting what could be a larger eruption if it continues to boil up over time. Yeah, so true. So true. So if you uh, have had an experience where you didn't really have a conclusion with somebody over a theological issue, um, know that you are in good company because... Uh, we sometimes get into discussions and debates, and as much as we want to have unity, that's not always the case. We end up uh, having different understandings of God's Word, and that creates all kinds of opportunities for division. Um, but if we are loving and gentle and good listeners, we can hear others, other sides and other uh, people's understandings of what, how they understand God's Word. But always open the Word. Always read what Scripture says and, and go from there. Don't ever listen to um, somebody that doesn't support what they're saying without Scripture. Amen. And I, I think that's one of the things I, I like about what we did yesterday at Guy Talk is it's, it's a constant support of Scripture. And um, we are to study ourselves to be approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we must be able to rightly divide the word of truth. Amen. And be like the Bereans, right? I mean, yeah. we read that and, you know, if you see your pastor preaching on a Sunday and they're not holding it up against the word, I mean, have that conversation after the fact and say, I need clarification or I'm going to look at what you said and I'm going to make sure it matches up against scripture. And I think we need a lot more of that in all of our relationships and in, in the way we live right now. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by the Bereans, too, because they didn't <laughs> they didn't go home, Ryan, and open their own personal Bibles because they didn't have one. Yeah. You know, they had to meet in community. Yeah. And say, can you believe what we heard yesterday? Let's measure it against what Scripture teaches. They yeah. didn't have their own personal Bibles or, or softwares on their computers. <laughs> yeah. We have computers. it easy now. Yeah, We have it completely easy. Yeah. I mean, we would be the envy of first century Christians. We have the entire revealed Word of God. Yeah. It's right at our fingertips, but so often we, for some reason, don't go there. Or it takes too long to get there, like you're saying, where it's the fourth or fifth or sixth thing we do when we're measuring it up against something. Yeah, so... Uh, be encouraged and, and know that when you when you have a conversation with somebody and you're just not meeting end to end, that's okay. Um, there's probably still a good chance you can, you know, find ways in which to hold hands with a believer. Uh, because you know, one of the things that we have a lot of disagreement on in the church, uh, as Chris mentioned, is the end times discussion. Yeah, and there's all kinds of different positions people take, and I say, um, you know. Jesus is, uh, without a doubt, we're going to be spared the wrath of God. And when Christ returns and the church is with him in glory, I don't think anyone's going to be disappointed or argue about when or how it all happened. Yeah, just that we know it is happening one day and we know that it's coming soon. How do we define soon? We don't know exactly, but we live each day as if that day is right around the corner. Yeah, which is good enough for me, Ryan. I, I don't know I about agree. you, but it's good enough for me. I want to just stay close to my Lord and Savior. I want to ask him to just give me the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life every day to go out and um, and be salt and light in a very broken, troubled world. I mean, there you don't go an hour without seeing suffering. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think where it is, Bill, if it's in First or Second Corinthians where it talks about fixing our focus on what is unseen versus what is seen because that's temporary and what is unseen is eternal. And if we can point people to that more often where you look around and you say, 
where is there hope amidst all this suffering that right. you talk about? Where is there something where I can see, you know what, maybe things are starting to turn around here. Put your eyes up. Look up instead, eyes up, and say, what can we focus on that is unseen, that is eternal? And then, you know, you talk about it all the time on this show, Bill, is starting those conversations and having further conversations that you spark. Earlier this week with Dr. Ian Paul, you were talking about that. How can we get people, whether you're talking about the parables that you two were talking about, or any other hot topic in our society, if you want to call it that, how can you spur them on to further conversations and further questions that point to the person of Jesus and point to things that are eternal? Yeah, well said, Ryan. You know, we we uh, we talk about being a gardener, like we were talking to Greg Kokel this week about yeah. him, him having a gardening mentality where we have to get involved in people's lives and listen to them and, and, and answer questions and ask questions and get them to tell you really what they believe and how they feel. And sometimes when they try to articulate things, they're going to they're gonna realize that what they just said maybe doesn't make that much sense anymore. It's just yeah. living in their head. Yeah. And they get yeah. it out and they go, okay, that sounded kind of weird, didn't it? Yeah. And then, well, tell me what you think. Yeah. Just keep the dialogue going. Yeah. Those real conversations. I mean, Tom Parrish was having some great wisdom about that yesterday where you'll have someone maybe try to back you into a corner on this specific hot topic and so much discussion can be had and things furthered along, like he was talking about, like what you're saying, Bill, just from purely listening and making mm-hmm. people give their, their answer to their beliefs because so often it doesn't have to be verbalized. Yeah. I was having a conversation in, in the gym a couple of weeks ago with a, with a guy and we were talking about uh, eternity and he had kind of an odd understanding of it. And I said, is that, is that really what you're, what you're betting on? Yeah. You know, Pascal said in Ponce's, his great work, he said, we're all, we're all making a high stakes life commitment to a particular faith view and we're betting our eternal destiny on it. Yeah. So if you're betting your eternal destiny on it, are you yeah. able to articulate it, defend it, support it, and say, yeah, I've studied this. This is what I believe. Yeah. Because your eternity depends on it. Amen. That's so great, Bill. And, you know, face the music, if you will, before you're on your deathbed or you're nearing the end. Because oh. you guys talked about it yesterday on Guy Talk so often. We don't know when that time's coming. You're not guaranteed to have that, okay, I got this two weeks lead up moment (laughs) to really make a decision. We're not all guaranteed that. Yeah. If you have the the privilege of having an awareness on your deathbed. Yeah. And to have final thoughts and and conversations. I mean, the thief on the cross in his last hours of life was able to repent. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That that was, that's a beautiful moment. Despite the fact he was crucified and dying a horrible death, um, he still had that moment. Uh, other people aren't quite so blessed to have that time. Yeah. They have sudden sudden death and all of a sudden they're gone. So, yeah. Anyway, we are sorry that we cut Chris Palmer short, but Ryan, thanks for the chat. It's always yeah. nice to always here. connect with you and find out what your peers are up to and what you're up to and what you're thinking. We're going to take a break and we come back. We're going to have a, a little time with Ray Comfort. Now, Ray has uh, written a, a really great book called How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. That's a great topic. So we're going to be right back with uh, an encore presentation. We had this conversation before, but I think it's so good you'll want to hear it again. Ray Comfort's up next. Hi, this is Bill. 
I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. My guest, Ray Comfort, answers questions that people are asking all the time. Like, does God hear my prayers? He's written over 100 books. He's the founder and CEO of Living Waters. And the book that I'm going to talk to him about today is called How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. Ray, welcome. Thanks for having me on, Bill. Appreciate it. Oh, it's uh, my uh, my delight. So I love the title of this book, This How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. I know you write a lot of books, and you've written, I think, close to 100 or more. What, uh, what intrigued you about this book? Well, whether or not God answers prayer doesn't really matter unless you're hanging over a thousand-foot cliff by your teeth or you're upside down at 20,000 feet in severe turbulence, then it matters. And most non-Christians take it for granted that God hears everything, but they don't understand that the Scriptures make it clear there are certain conditions for God to regard our prayers. If you want to chat with King Charles, you don't show up in your pajamas. There's certain etiquette. And there are certain biblical etiquettes that we must take place, and we must not, um, we must acknowledge when we look at Scripture. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Bible says, the Lord will not hear. Our sins make a separation between us and our God, so He will not hear. Obviously, God is omniscient, so He hears and sees everything. But the Bible tells us He'll take no regard unless we uh, conform to what Scripture tells us to do. Ray, you say in your book that the uh, the image of a God who smiles at sin, whose patience is infinite and inexhaustible, only exists in the minds of those who lack the fear of the Lord. They choose to ignore the knowledge of God given to us in Holy Scripture. I would love for you uh, to talk about what it means to fear the Lord. Yeah, and the Bible says of Jesus, he was heard in that he feared. I think that... <laughs> is more than just a reverence. You talk to most non-Christians, and I've got a, an idolatrous understanding of God's character and nature. The image of God is one of that long-haired guy sitting on a cloud uh, with a pink nighty reaching out and playing touch fingers with Adam. That's the image of God. It's nothing like the image that's revealed in Scripture. Listen to what Jesus said about God, and this, this is just so offensive to the world. He said this, Fear not him who has power to kill your body, and afterwards do no more, but fear him who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. So the, the non-Christian must realize that if he lacks the fear of God, he'll give himself to sin, because the scriptures say, through the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. I, I'm originally from New Zealand. I've been living in the U.S. for, I think, nearly 40 or 30, 34 years. That's why I've almost lost my accent. And in New Zealand, <laughs> in New Zealand the police didn't have guns. They would have or batons, and if a criminal was naughty, they would hit him. And England did the same for many years, just batons with the police. They've now got guns, but when I came to the U.S., I had a, an advantage over open-air preachers. Uh, when I came here, when a police officer would walk up to me because he didn't like what I was doing, wanted me to move, I would say to myself, he's got a gun. That's all I could see. I couldn't see anything else but his gun. And I'd say to myself, this man could kill me legally if he feels threatened in some way, if I move too quickly or reach in my pocket to get a track to give him or something like that, I could die. So I've always been tremendously congenial with the police, very, very nice. And whatever they want, I do. I jump to it over a dozen times. I've been stopped from open air preaching by police and always 
when they come up and say, I'd like you to stop, I immediately stop. And I say, what would you like me to do, officer? Move over there. And whatever they want, I do, because he's got a gun. It's more than a reverence I have for the police. It's a fear of what he can do to me. And that's what Jesus is saying about the fear of God. Fear not him who has power to kill your body and afterwards do no more, but fear him who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. And so the non-Christian must realize if they don't fear God, they should fear him for what he, sh- what he can do to them. And let me tell you something a little personal, but it really brings out the power of the fear of God and what it can do for us. When I was 16, this was six years before I became a Christian, I found myself in the back of a dance hall at night in a long grass with a gorgeous 16-year-old female. And my, my intentions were not honorable. I was a non-Christian, no fear of God. But she put the fear of God in me with just six words. This is what she said. She said, you know what? God's watching us. And it was like a bucket of ice fell from the heavens and just <laughs> caused me to steam, stand up and say, well, let's go back inside. And I looked back. And the fear of God, even as a non-Christian, caused me to depart from evil, as the Bible says. I, I could have got her pregnant. I could have brought shame to her family, shame to my family, and maybe even instigated an abortion. I don't know. But I look back and I say, thank God for the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And that's what needs to be intermingled in our prayers, a, a trembling, a reverence, an awe of God. But the non-Christian must have a little bit more and, uh, and, and realize what God will do if we're not obedient to the gospel. Ray Comfort is my guest. He's the founder and CEO of Living Waters, best-selling author of over 100 books. And we're chatting about his book today, How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. Uh, Ray, I love that you talk about the fear of the Lord you know, is, is a way of life. So how, how can we encourage us, how can you encourage us to, when we're facing temptation and sin, just the way you were with that 16-year-old girl? Yeah, to cultivate the fear of God. One way to do it would be to move to Texas so you can experience a thunderstorm and look at the lightning and let it scare the living daylights out because everything's <laughs> bigger in Texas. Or you could read Scripture with an open heart, searching for what the Scriptures say about God's character and nature. You could read about Uzzah, how he reached out and touched the Ark of the Covenant and God killed him because he wasn't supposed to do that. Or read how Ananias and Sapphira told one lie, and God killed them. Uh, or he didn't like what a man did sexually in Genesis 38, so the Lord killed him. Or he consider what happened with Moses. He said, God, let me see your glory. And God says, you can't see me and live. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do. This is a comfort paraphrase. He says, I'll put you in the cleft of a rock, and I'll let my goodness pass you by. What does that mean? Would God's goodness kill Moses? Doesn't make sense. Until you think of a court of law where a judge has before him a criminal that's murdered uh, an 11-year-old girl after he sexually molested her, strangled her to death. If that judge is a good judge, if he has goodness in his heart, he will be furious at that criminal, and he'll bring down his gavel in wrath. And the Bible says God is so good, he so believes in justice and righteousness, His wrath abides on us. And every time we sin, we store up his wrath. Like an L.A. freeway chase, you get the commentators say, look at that, guys, wrong side of the road. Oh, oh, he's just gone through a stop sign. He's making it worse for himself every time he transgresses the law. And that's what the unsaved person is doing. That's what sinners are doing every time they sin. Lust, hatred, anger, greed, pride, jealousy, all these things store up God's wrath. It's going to be revealed on the day of wrath when they stand before his absolute perfect goodness, which demands justice. That's a fearful thing. And when we cultivate that sort of biblical understanding, 
It naturally brings a fear of God into our heart so that when we're tempted to look at pornography and the pleasure it gives men or women, or when we're tempted to listen to gossip, we won't because the fear of God causes us to depart from evil. Ray, uh, I've watched so many of your videos where you're going out and speaking to people, and I find your your giftedness just through the roof. I know a lot of it has come through practice, so uh, you didn't learn that overnight. But the Bible also says that that the Scripture is foolishness to those who are perishing. So a lot of people say a lot of foolish things, and when it comes to the consequences of sin, it seems pretty stupid to them. How do we do a better job of impressing upon them that there is a spiritual reality that they may be scoffing at? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, the Bible says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. And there's a reason it's foolishness. It's because we haven't preceded it with what the Bible tells us to. The scriptures say the law, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And so when we open up the Ten Commandments, as Jesus did, and show what sin is, then the gospel will make sense. Let me give an analogy. A doctor looks at a patient, and the, and the patient believes he's completely healthy. He's fit, he's young, he's healthy. But the doctor knows, because he's seen x-rays, that this guy is going to be dead in two weeks. There is a cancerous poison disease that's seeping through his system. So what's the doctor going to do? He has a cure for the patient. Is he going to give him the cure? No, that would be foolish. He wouldn't give him a cure while he thinks he's healthy. The guy's going to say, what are you giving me this cure for? I don't need this cure. I'm healthy. Get it out of my face. I don't want it. It's going to be foolishness to him. He's going to reject it, not appreciate it or appropriate it. So if the doctor knows what he's doing and he's a good doctor, he'll pick up the x-rays, get the attention of the guy and say, look at this. This is a poison that's seeping through your system. He's going to try and make him fearful. He wants to see sweat come to his brow. He wants to see him tremble so that the patient will say, Yikes, I can see this is deadly serious. What should I do? Then he brings out the cure. Then it will make sense. Then the patient will appreciate it and appropriate it. And what we have done with our modern evangelistic methods is held up the cure. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He took the punishment for our sins. People say, what are you talking about? Sin, I don't need your silly religion. Get it out of my face. Don't ram it down my throat. Why? because we haven't convinced of the disease, so they'll appreciate and appropriate the cure. When we do what Jesus did with a rich young ruler and open up those Ten Commandments and show the disease of sin, and we bring about fear and make them tremble as Felix trembled on the preaching of Paul, or as David trembled on the preaching of Nathan, or as the Philippian jailer uh, was trembled when that earthquake came, we need to give them a personal earthquake so fear will do its duty and arise in their heart they realize how serious sin is in the eyes of God then the cross will make sense that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us so we need to go back to biblical methods and forsake our modern traditions Ray do you wake up in the morning early and are you this eloquent (laughs) I mean seriously this is a stream of consciousness that's amazing no, I'm not. I'm trying not to eloquent. embarrass you just a little. I've just done this before. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's so compelling. It, it, you know, when we want to lead people to be found, I think sometimes the harder work is leading them to understand that they're lost. 
You know, most people treat God as a divine butler, or we, as we do a, a sound man in our churches. You know, we can have the, the sound system working perfectly week after week after week, and suddenly there's a wail that comes through the microphone, and everybody turns around and glares at the sound man. Don't you know what you're doing? Are you crazy? Fix that thing. And that's right. how people treat God. You know, he gives us the blue sky, the sound of birds in the morning, the music and love and laughter and food and friends and family, and lavishes his kindness upon us. And as soon as something goes wrong, people lift their fist at the heavens and say, God, what do you think you're doing? You owe me. And that comes from idolatry. It's not a right understanding that God gave us everything we've got. We're unthankful, ungrateful, and we use his name as a cuss word that is so prevalent throughout society that using the name of Jesus to, to, as a cuss word, what person in history has ever had their name used as a cuss word other than Jesus? And he tells us right. why in John 7. He says, the world hates me because I testify of its deeds that they're evil. The world hates God for the same reason criminals hate the police, because they're criminals and the police stand for that which is right. And that's why people hate God without cause. They're unthankful, unholy, and use his name as a cuss word. We're enemies of God in our mind through wicked works, the Bible says. And we need to come to that rock of ages, which is clear for us to shelter us from God's goodness on the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. Ray Comfort is my guest. He is the founder and CEO of Living Waters. We're talking about his book, How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. Ray, I got a two-part question, so I'll ask it in two parts. How's that? That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So um, how, how does our response to sin reflect our fear of the Lord? I want to stay on this fear of the Lord topic because I think this is really important. Yeah, we, our conscience is very similar to a smoke detector. Sometimes smoke detectors can be really annoying. They'll go off for no reason. You cook something in your oven and it gets a little hot. Next thing, there's a wailing sound coming from up the hallway. The dog is wailing because he doesn't like the sound of it in the sensitive ears. And you're, you're tempted to just go and pull those batteries out so you can cook without <laughs> this thing doing the thing. And that's what conscience is like. It wails at us when we do something wrong. Things get a little hot morally, and we want to take the batteries out. But that smoke detector is for our protection. It's for our good, and the conscience should be cultivated. The Apostle Paul said he strove to have a conscience void of offense towards God and man. He kept the batteries in. And so that sort of conscience that's uh, motivated by a fear of God and a knowledge that he holds us all responsible for every idle word, there's nothing hid from his eyes. All things lie open and exposed before the eyes of him. We have to give an account. That helps us walk in the fear of the Lord. And, and Bill, I, I am terrified of having a conscience that's not tender. I really want to walk in the fear of God because I know how wicked my heart is. I know how I'm tempted by pornography. Uh, all the time, like every red-blooded male, your eyes just go towards things that you know are wrong. And it's the mm-hmm. fear of the Lord that helps me to have um, feet like Joseph had when Potiphar showed up and his wife, his lusty wife, he had on his running shoes. And that's what we've got to have when it comes to sexual sin, looking at things we know are inappropriate. Just have those shoes ready and just keep them on and run. And that's, that's motivated by the fear of the Lord. And when we look at the life of Joseph, we see a man that was a, a type of Christ, uh, someone who walked in the fear of God, and, and we need to imitate him. And we can do that because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Ray, here's part two of my two-part question. How, how should we respond and, and connect with people that we love, who we uh, see falling into sin, 
And we don't want to be judgmental or or, hyper, or hypocritical, but we just want to we want to do the right thing. How do we do that? Well, we need to share the gospel with them. If someone calls themselves a Christian and they're given to sin, there's something radically wrong. The Bible says, examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. And if you're serving sin, you might not be in the faith at all. And so I use two things that I uh, that I uh, use, or two, how can I put it? I salt the oats. You know, it's been said, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That's just not true. That's a complete lie. You can salt the oats, so he'll want to drink. And there are certain ways to salt the oats of human beings and cause them to want what we have in Christ. And one way is to appeal to the will of will to live. Every human being is made in the image of God. We're not dogs, cats, horses, or cows. We have something in us that says, I don't want to die. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15, we are haunted by the fear of death all our lifetime. So when I meet a non-Christian, I'll say something like this to him. Say, uh, hey, Don, so I've got a question for you. Do you think there's an afterlife? He says, I don't know. So you think about it much? He says, all the time. So you're afraid of dying? He says, Yeah. I say, have you ever read the Bible? He says, no, no, I haven't. So you know the Old Testament God promised he would destroy death, and the New Testament tells us how he did it. And suddenly his eyes light up, because no one said that to him before. The Old Testament God promised to destroy death. The New Testament tells how he did it. So I say, I'm going to share the gospel with you, and I have to proceed it with the Ten Commandments to show you need God's mercy. Is that okay? And I say, sure. So I appeal to the will to live. You think of how a waitress approaches businessmen in a restaurant. She looks at three businessmen have walked in wearing three-piece suits, holding little black cases. They're obviously sitting at the table, wheeling and dealing millions of dollars. Is she intimidated? Not at all. She just walks up, boldly says, can I take your order? She butts in. They're half-sentence. They're important men. Why she do that? It's because she knows she has what they want, food. That's why they're there. And we have what this world wants. They just don't understand that. They think we're religious when we've found everlasting life in Christ. Most of them at some gym torturing themselves or drinking some liquid or eating some food they hate to try and extend their lives. And we have everlasting life in Christ. If only they knew. And so this is what Jesus did with a woman at the well in John chapter 4. He said, if you knew the gift of God, and he was speaking to you, you'd ask him, he'd give you living water. So that is one of my confidences how to salt the oats appeal to the sinner's will to hmm. live he will listen if he knows what we've got we can get through to him and the other thing is to appeal to his conscience so with conscience means with knowledge god has given light to every man whether someone's an atheist or agnostic or religious person they have a conscience they have a knowledge of right and wrong and you can appeal to it by going through the ten commandments it awakens the conscience it gets mm -hmm. the uh, smoke detector doing its duty yeah. Ray, let me take a little break. Ray Comfort is my guest. He's the founder and CEO of Living Waters and has uh, written over 100 books. The one we're chatting about today is how to make sure God hears your prayers. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute.
Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Bill, I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. We are back. If you are just joining us, Ray Comfort is my guest. He's the founder and CEO of Living Waters and has uh, written over 100 books. The one we're chatting about today is how to make sure God hears your prayers. In his book, he says the reason people's hearts fail them is that they don't believe anyone is in control. If they could take control, they wouldn't be fearful. But those who fear God know that he is always in control. He's never taken by surprise or thrown into confusion. The same God who will fulfill his promise to judge the world will fulfill his promise to bless those who fear the Lord. The choice is ours. We can disobey and let sin rule in our lives, or we can trust God in obedience and come to him in prayer. Nice words, Ray. Oh, thank you. Can I share something that we're doing that's super exciting? I hope you do. Yeah. Well, about six months ago, I began thinking about what's going to happen on May the 6th of this year when King Charles uh, becomes uh, crowned or the coronation takes place. And I realized that he's going to be given an orb or holding an orb, which is a globe with a cross on the top, which is a picture of the reign of Jesus Christ of the whole earth. He's going to have two swords. One's a blunt sword, a sword of mercy, speaking of the gospel, another sharp sword, sword of justice. Um, he's going to lay his hand on the Bible and promise before God to uphold the biblical truth of salvation by grace through faith without works. And all this is going to be done in front of an audience of hundreds of millions around the world. And I thought, man, I'd like to produce a gospel tract, not endorsing King Charles, but doing what Paul did in Acts 17 when he quoted Greek poets. And what's he quoting, what is he quoting Greek poets for? He was using them as a bridge to reach his hearers. And that's what I was wanting to do with this coronation. So I thought it'd be great to get a track printed with a gospel on the back, with Charles on the front, a million dollar bill or like a 50 million pound or whatever. And I, I made a video and sent it to my team for their thoughts. And I received an email from a gentleman. He said, what are you working on? So I told him, I sent him the video and he sent back $200,000 uh, to the ministry. I showed someone else the video. They sent a hundred thousand. Someone else, I showed them video and they sent 50,000. So we're able to make this track available free of charge, and we pay the shipping. Uh, it's very exciting because the media understand, Christians don't understand because we've got our Jesus, he's our king, we're not bowing to any earthly king, where the world is infatuated with royalty. So hundreds of millions of non-Christians are going to go to church for two hours on May the 6th and hear uh, symbolic uh, symbolism of the gospel. So this is a wonderful opportunity. So if anyone wants to go to livingwaters.com forward slash London, we will send large quantities, a thousand at a time, of these uh, very, very um, beautifully produced gospel tracts uh, free of charge, and we'll pay the shipping anywhere in Europe, anywhere in England, anywhere in Australia or New Zealand, or anywhere in the U.S. That's livingwaters.com forward slash London. Well, what a beautiful uh, gift that is, Ray. Thank you so much for that. All right, yeah, we're we only have, excited about them. Yeah, we only have a couple, a couple of minutes left. So, um, 
what do you say to those who pray, but they just don't feel God hears or answers their prayers? I know there's many listening right now that feel that, that they're in, that's the camp they're in. And you can, yeah, it's very, very common. You, you think, you know, I've got suffering in my family. Someone's suffering a terrible disease. Why doesn't God do something? We don't know why they're suffering. We know why they're, we don't know why God doesn't answer our prayers when someone's suffering, but we do know why uh, there is suffering because we live in a fallen creation. But think what happened to Mary and Martha. They sent a message to Jesus saying, your friend whom you love, Lazarus, is sick. In other words, he'll obviously be here like grease lightning because you love him and he's your friend. But Jesus stayed where he was for two days because he had greater intentions. He wanted to do something far more marvelous than healing someone. He wanted to raise him from the dead. So often God's ways aren't our ways. We say, Lord, please do this. This needs to happen. But God sees into the future and his wisdom is infinitely greater than ours. And I love what Charles Spurgeon said when it comes to prayer. He said, faith may swim where reason may only paddle. So as Christians, when God doesn't zoom in and answer our prayers in the way he thinks we will, we just say, I trust him. I trust him with all my heart. I lean not to my own understanding, but I trust him because he keeps every promise he makes. And he promises to work all things to good, together for good, to those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Mm-hmm. Ray, do you have a fear of the Lord verse that you, you keep handy all the time? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, Proverbs 19.23, uh, through the fear of the Lord, or he that has the fear of the Lord will abide satisfied. He will not be visited with evil. It's a wonderful verse, and there's a whole stack of verses, especially in Proverbs, that tell us that God's blessing and his ears are open to those that fear him. So we need to cultivate the fear of God if we want God to hear our prayers. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ray, for taking time to uh, be on the show today. It's uh, always, always a delight to talk to you. Great to talk to you, Bill. Thank you. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.